It's the Happy Families Podcast. It's the podcast for the time-poor parent who just wants answers now. The things that motivate intrinsically are a feeling of, I can do this, I'm capable and competent. I like the people that I'm there, a feeling of relatedness, and I'm choosing this for myself, autonomy. And now here's the stars of our show, my mum and dad. Today, unfortunately, Mrs. Happy Families, Kylie couldn't be with me, but I'm really uh, grateful for uh, a question that has come through from Erin, who says, Hi, Justin and team. Firstly, love your work. I've been listening for years now, and you guys just keep on giving. Uh, we try to give as much as we can, Erin, so thanks for noticing. The question, though, is as follows. Our family is on an early-ish journey of an ADHD diagnosis for our eldest son, eight years old. Erin says, I'm a health professional myself and have been doing lots of reading about the behavioural strategies for helping kids with their ADHD challenges. So much of the material talks about the effectiveness of rewards on the basis of the fact that ADHD is a neurological condition which lacks some of the chemicals in the reward circuitry of the brain. They explain that tasks that require more effort and concentration and persistence have a relative lack of rewarding feelings. So ADHD kids often find these tasks difficult. This also goes some way to explaining why kids with ADHD argue and push back so much if they get a big response from someone because this reaction in itself is rewarding, even if it's a negative reaction. So one of the strategies recommended is to make non-preferred tasks, that is tasks someone doesn't want to do, more immediately rewarding, either via praise, encouragement, conceptual rewards or physical rewards like stickers and prizes. I've listened to your opinions and Alfie Cohn's in your podcast on rewards and punishment and fundamentally agree and very much want for my children and this son in particular to find ways to be self-motivated and fulfilled. But I wondered what your educated opinion or what research might say about whether in the circumstances of ADHD and a relative lack of feel-good intrinsic reward brain chemistry might mean the playing field is somewhat different for these kids. Given the previous interest in all your ADHD stuff, I hoped you could do a podcast episode on this one. Looking forward to hearing from you, Erin. So Erin, really appreciate the email. Let's go through a handful of things over the next five to eight minutes and see what we can come up with. The first thing that I want to emphasize is, and, and you've, you've labeled this correctly, in your email you've said, I've been looking at the behavioral strategies that people have written about, the behavioral strategies. And so there are different ways that we can come at things like ADHD and autism and other neurodivergent experiences or realities that we're dealing with. The first thing that I want to highlight is your point about reading behavioral strategies. So we can come at this from all kinds of different uh, angles. Behavioral strategies are the most popular. That's where most of the research lies and that's where most of the programs, most of the therapy that you'll do sits. It's in the behavioral realm with a focus on rewards. In other words, what can I do to enhance intrinsic uh, well, actually, we're not going to enhance intrinsic interest. So what can I do to make something extrinsically rewarding since it's just not intrinsically rewarding at all? My approach is non-behavioral. That is, I'm trying to move away from this focus on external rewards because we're playing in the shallow end of the motivation continuum. But we've got external motivation at one end and intrinsic motivation at the other end, and there's a whole lot of stages along the way. All of these behavioral approaches are very much about saying, how can we 
manipulate the environment so that it's externally going to orient kids towards doing something, even though they still don't really have any desire to do it. And and Erin, that's really at the heart of your question because you wrapped up by saying you you try to find ways to compensate for a relative lack of feel-good intrinsic reward brain chemistry. So that brings me to the second point to highlight. And this is whether you've got an ADHD child or not. And that is that there is stuff in life that we all have to deal with that is not intrinsically feel good. Uh, doing the dishes is not intrinsically feel good. Getting up on time for work, yeah, not intrinsically feel good sort of stuff. The things that we do for their own sake, they are intrinsically motivating. Things we do because we know that we should or because we value them and we know that they're important and we appreciate having them in our lives, they fall into other places on that motivation continuum. I guess what all of this means is when we're dealing with a child with ADHD or with any uh, any other neurodivergent condition, or sometimes when you're just dealing with a child generally, we've got to look at what we can do to satisfy the needs that they have to move them in the direction where there's going to be a level of motivation that doesn't rely on us pushing and rewarding. So self-determination theory is the name of the theory that sits squarely at the center of my approach to dealing with ADHD. That theory says that we will have high levels of motivation, that is intrinsic motivation, or at least a deeper level of motivation than the superficial external, I'm doing it because you're dangling a carrot or brandishing a stick motivation. Uh, What we want to do is we want to move kids along that continuum from what's called external motivation to something called introjected motivation. That's not really healthy, but it's better than external motivation. Introjected motivation is where you're doing it because you know you're supposed to but nobody's making you. And that's a better form of motivation generally than external, but something that's even better than introjected motivation as we move along that motivation continuum to some slightly deeper water is what you would call identified motivation. This is when your child or you say, this is an important thing to do and I value it. It's, it, it matters. The next level of motivation as we go into even deeper motivation waters is what we call integrated motivation. This is where we do it because we know that we value it. It's, 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 it's integrated into our identity. I do this because I want to be healthy. I do this because I value cleanliness. I do this because it's part of me being a good person. It's part of who I am. And then we get to intrinsic motivation where we say, I do this because of the joy of doing it, because it in and of itself is an end for me. That's kind of complicated, but it's really important when we're dealing with neurodivergence because while if we're operating at the reward level, which is where most behavioral strategies are focused, we're focused on that shallow end of the continuum. So what moves us along the continuum into the deeper motivational waters? Three things. The first is a sense of autonomy. And I think as I consider our own experience with our child who has uh, some of these additional needs, I think that that may be the most important thing of all. We've learned that the more we step back and the more that we let her, I guess, not dictate terms so much, but work within some reasonable frameworks at her own pace, in her own way, we found that she's motivated to do most things most of the time, so long as we can be patient with her and let her do it her way. Autonomy is at the heart of this. Every time we start to get coercive, every time we start to get controlling, every time we start to push that little eight-year-old to do things our way and to do them now, what we find is that motivation decreases and so too does compliance and, and subsequently so does well-being. The second central element is competence. Now, competence needs a fragile. When a child 
doesn't do things well, they shy away from doing them at all. Why? Because no one likes to be hopeless at stuff. When a child does things quite well, their motivation will be high. Why? Because they can do it. They approach it rather than avoid it. They feel good about doing it. Our job, therefore, as parents with a child who has ADHD is to say, how can we create structures here that provide you with the support you need? There's going to be accountability, but there has to be support. How do we help you to get this done? And the last basic psychological need is relatedness. That is, the more I like the people that I'm going to be hanging around with while I do this thing, the more likely it is that I'm going to go and do it and do it reasonably well. The things that motivate intrinsically, or at least at an integrated or identified level, those things are a feeling of, I can do this, I'm capable and competent. I like the people that I'm there, a feeling of relatedness, and I'm choosing this for myself, autonomy. Now, my new book, which comes out in April, is called The Parenting Revolution. And Erin, the entire book is all about this style of parenting, need supportive parenting. In addition, in the Happy Families web shop, we have a handful of products all about ADHD, a couple of webinars that I've done that have been very, very popular. And newsflash, in the next few weeks, keep an eye on your email because we're going to be letting you know about a brand new course all about ADHD that helps to move away from the behavioral approach and move towards a need supportive approach that will help your child to find motivation and well-being, even in things that they might not have otherwise been motivated for unless they could get an external reward. That's what the whole course is all about and it's going to be really helpful. Erin, I hope that this podcast has given you a, a little bit of food for thought. The ideas that I've shared take a lot of trial and error. They require us as parents to really be on our game and to make sure that we're setting the environment up in a way that works for our child. But hopefully, with the little bit that I've shared with you just now, it's enough to move you in the right direction and help you to start to think about, experiment with and play with some of these ideas in April next year. The book comes out sometime in the next month or so. Keep an eye on your email for the ADHD course. I think you're going to love it. And hopefully, with all of that, We've answered your question and helped to make your family a little bit happier. Tomorrow on the Happy Families podcast, I have a chat with Dr. Anthea Rhodes talking about the latest findings from the Royal Children's Hospital Health Poll, uh, Kids, Summer, Water, Safety. It's a really important conversation. I'm looking forward to that. And later in the week, we're going to talk about balancing family values and routines with visiting grandparents who have different ideas about what the kids can and can't do tackling the big issues on the Happy Families podcast. We appreciate Justin Rowland from Bridge Media. He's our producer. He does a great job in making the podcast sound great. Thank you, Justin. Uh, we also appreciate Craig Bruce, our executive producer. For more info about the stuff that we've talked about today, keep an eye on your email, subscribe to the Happy Families newsletter, or visit us at Dr. Justin Coulson's Happy Families on Facebook. Back tomorrow with more on the Happy Families podcast. Happy Families podcast.